Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. I would say the approach on throwing it, you know, kind of learning when to mix it in, learning how to mix it in. Um, I feel like I, in college, didn't really need it. You know, in the minors, they didn't really need it. Um, and last year, didn't really need it a whole ton. Um, but being able to mix that in and kind of keep hitters off balance, I think it's going to be huge. I'll keep saying it, man. I think my changeup just gets better just watching Gaz yeah. throw his. Um, you know, we've talked about little little things here and there, but um, I think just the way he attacks it uh, and the mentality he has behind it um, is something that's really helped me a lot. That was Alex... Manoa, Alec Manoa last night after the Blue Jays 3-0 win over the New York Yankees. It is Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fan, and on Sportsnet 360. George Springer leads the offense. Bo Bichette plays some good defense. Alec Manoa keeps the Yankees' bat. It's the Yankees' bats at bay. Kevin Barker, I'm going to throw some numbers out there, and I want you to explain to me how or what this means about Alec Manoa. Um, going into this season against the three, four, and five hitters, the middle of the order. 51 strikeouts, eight walks, 212 opponents average against five home runs, three doubles. We know that Alec Manoa has got great stuff. We know all the superlatives about Alec Manoa. But what makes him so effective against the middle of the order. Whereas, as as I said, most of the time teams are going to do most of their damage. Yeah, well, there could be numerous reasons why that is. You know, if you break that down a little bit more, how many right-handed hitters has he faced in three, four, five in the last year or so? Uh, You know, the the power sinker for me stands out the most uh, feeding off of the the elevated fastball. His ball's heavy. Like, it's... it's, Okay, explain... uh, because we use that phrase. Explain what a heavy a, a heavy ball is. Well, well, okay. Give an example of Giancarlo Stanton last night. The the, the at bats that he was having against uh, Alec Manoa. He just you know sometimes guys with heavy balls, it's almost impossible to barrel them up. I mean that that's what it is. It has a lot of late life to it. Uh, you 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 it has a ton of late movement, a ton of uh, late spin, late giddy up. However you want to use it. Uh, that that a lot of the times just has, you know, an, an ability to get in on the right-handed hitters away to a lefty. He's not afraid to throw the sinker. Doesn't throw a ton of sinkers to lefties. He likes to throw more slider, elevated fastballs to to lefties. That's why he started saying, you know, he, he's figuring out ways to use his changeup. Or mm-hmm. he, it's more of when I throw it, not how much I throw it. That that was, you know, he's, he threw Stanton last night a, a, fa- a changeup after a fastball. That's on purpose. That's controlling bat speed. You get a guy like the heavy fastball, 
You get a guy like Stanton who's cheating. You can tell he's cheating. He's trying to open up the front side because of the late movement and how the fastball looks and how heavy it is. And then that's why you throw him a changeup. You know, it's just a little bit of change of speeds. Now, if he ever gets that changeup, it's 88. If he ever gets that thing somewhere in the 85, 86 mark, and now all of a sudden his his difference between his fastball and his sinker and his changeup are seven, eight, nine miles an hour instead of five or six. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden that gives you a lot to think about. And you know, it, it just seems like he's toying with people. Like it, he knows how good his fastball is. He knows how heavy it is. He knows what hitters look like when he throws it in a good spot. Now they did move him on the rubber. I don't know if people noticed that. And I, I tried to to set that up a little bit when we talked about him yesterday. He was a little bit more middle third base side beginning of last year. And that's when you start throwing sinker arm angle is a little bit here, not so much straight up and down 12 to six or not so much sidearm. It's more three quarter right in here. And when you throw the sinker, you want it to start in the, in the strike zone. You don't want it to be a ball out of his hand because what a good hitters do, they lay off it. They don't swing at it. And he's trying to get the righty to chase that or get some weak contact, broken bats, ground balls to the third baseman, that weak stuff to get some efficient outs early in counts. And that's why they moved him on the first base side of the rubber. Now, it's not all the way over there. You can tell he's got about half his foot on the rubber, half his foot's off the rubber, and it's on the first base side. And that's the only purpose of that is, is because of the arm angle, they want it to start in the strike zone, and they want it to either end on the black away, or they want it to dive off the plate, depending on what the count is and how hard he wants to throw it and how much finish he gets on it now we saw last night with his slider moving on the rubber like that that's the release point on how well okay i would no, but i I wanted to ask you about that because i i I caught a bit of the the yankees telecast and david cone knows a bit about pitching Mm -hmm. talked about the the walks that that alec manoa gave up i mean he ran into trouble in the fourth inning and started and and started giving up walks it's third inning sorry third inning and Cone made the point that the first two innings, he more or less didn't use the slider. And Cone's point was, and he wasn't criticizing him, but he said it's interesting that he started to use the slider more in the third inning. And Cone said, for whatever reason, that seemed to take him, it seemed to affect his control. And we talked about at one point, he'd thrown eight of 10 sliders were balls. Yeah. Uh, So... Let's try to balance out then what we saw from, and we also saw him hit 96 last night. So let's try to balance out what we saw from Alec Manoa and explain to folks how the fastball, the slider, and the change play off each other. Because a lot of people out there go, okay, Grady throws a change. What does that mean? Well, yeah, well how did the fastball, slider, and change okay, play for, off each for other? The first time through, he's trying to establish fastball sinker. And he'll, that's why he wasn't, wasn't throwing any sliders. He didn't have to. You know, that little clip we played off to get there, he was saying, well, college, I didn't need to change up. Minors, I didn't need to change up. Right. Last year, I didn't need to change up. Sort of first time through because of the how heavy it is, how much late movement it has, because, uh, you know, he just how aggressive he is, how big he is, how hard it is to pick up release point, all the things that go into being Alec Manoa is tough on hitters first time through. Second time through, that's when you start seeing him flipping it. Now, me, when I was watching him, He's really trying to get extension, and that that extension with the finish was spotty, right? He he actually showed you in the game he was actually doing that. He was movement. kind of mimicking after it, yeah. a, after a pitch. He would really try and get it out there. That for me is about the rubber, and 
you know, when you move on one side of the rubber like that, one of your pitches, you're going to have to be really good with your finish. Yep. And that's the slider for me, right? It's it's the, you know, the slider when he's in the middle of the plate or on the third base side of the plate, he can start that at a righty, and it's going to end up either off the plate or on the black away to a righty. He's not going to throw a ton of those to lefties. He's going to elevate the fastball. But the whole point in that against a righty is he makes it look like a strike, and then it ends up a ball moving on the rubber. Now, all of a sudden, you got to be better with the release point. you got to be better with the extension because now you're trying to, I don't want to say guide it because that's not what he's trying to do. He's a grip it, rip it guy. But it's, okay, I now I know i got to look at his target. i got to aim at the target, but I don't want it to be a non-competitive pitch, which is exactly what we saw. So, I think there's a fine line he's trying to figure out, right? I've moved. I want it tunneling. I love my sinker. I got that figured out now. Now it's finding a release point on the slider to get it to go start where I want it to start to finish where I want it to finish. And, man, we're being picky here because of how good he is. He he, he didn't have – you know, his changeup was decent. It was not. It was not his best his, stuff. His slider was not real good last night. You yeah. saw what he did. Just think about when all three pitches are working, how he's going to look. And One hit over how, six Well, innings. how efficient it's going to be, right? It's, it's, it's not going to be three-two counts. It's not going to be deep counts. It's not going to be fouling balls off. It's going to be action in three pitches. And when you do that and you're a guy his caliber, that means you're going to go eight, nine innings. And I'll tell you what, that, that fifth inning, the nine-pitch fifth inning, really essentially saved Charlie having to go to the – it saved Charlie a bullpen arm. Jimmy Garcia didn't have to pitch, and now he can pitch today. Yeah which is a huge deal. So the Jays won 3 nothing last night. They are 3-1. and one. They've now won 9 of 11 in the Bronx going back to last year. Uh, Bo Bichette had a terrific game defensively. George Springer already talked about a home run, a double, and uh, drove in all three runs. Santiago Espinal, again, out of the number nine spot, doing exactly what you want him well i was going to say you'd what you, you'd like any hitter to have a night like that but out of the number nine spot in this lineup in particular santiago espinal had, had another terrific night had a stolen base uh as well to boot and was part of that that double play josh donaldson who will join us later in the show hit into with uh two on and adam simber getting a ground ball, but I mean, it will, it looked like, it looked like heartbreak. It looked like it was going to be a perfectly placed ground ball. Santiago Espinal makes the play, flips it to Bichette. Bichette spins 360 degrees, fires the first base. Kevin, these guys like playing the Yankee stadium. Yeah, I guess they, I mean, they like the, they like the bright lights. With, without breaking down every single thing between the two teams, the Blue Jays are a better team right now. Like a week, a week, it's, I know the stats you, you were rolling off there about how many wins they've had in the last however many games they played against them. You, you look both sides of the ball. Right now, the Blue Jays are a better See, team. And I, that's, and I, that's why they're winning most of these I games. think they were a better team than the Yankees last year, too. Yeah, you could say that. They I think a, they, they were. They, they had a better record. Look, look, right now, for me anyway, the Blue Jays are more athletic. They can beat you later in games easier than the Yankees can right now. The Blue Jays can go first and third. The Blue Jays can steal a base. The Blue Jays, if they have to, can get a guy over. Now, I would have loved to have seen that a little bit more. You know, Teo hits a, a leadoff yeah. double. Lourdes comes up and grounds out the shortstop on the first pitch on a ball that has a little run to it, middle end. It's not good at bad. It's early, and it's hard to tell these guys to give themselves up. And I don't even say he, he needs to do that, but – this is how you win championships is you don't have to tell a guy, hey, this is a situation. You're on the road, Yankee Stadium. We're trying to, you know, take over the reins in the American League East. 
the way to do that is the right way. And again, these are little things. This little things you need to clean up. But I, again, I, I just think when you look every parts of game, unless Garrett Cole's pitching, that for me is a different animal. There, he he's got enough stuff to keep what the Blue Jays do the best offensively down, which would give the Yankees a chance to win. But other than that. For me, anyway, I, th- I think it's they. the Blue Jays can match up and are a little bit better when it matters the most. The Jays made some news before the start of the game. Danny Jansen was placed on the IL with a left oblique injury. They call up Tyler Heineman. Anthony Kay came up as well. Tyler Sacedo, option to the minor leagues. Josh Palacios, DFA'd. So it's, it's, it's Alejandro Kirk as your number one catcher at this point. Danny's 10. It's a 10-day IL week. Oblique injuries, you just don't know. It's that simple. You, mm-hmm. I mean, an oblique injury, you can, it can go longer than 10 days. It just depends on the severity of it. We've, we know, unfortunately, we know all about oblique injuries in baseball. It's kind of the trendy injury, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, so Alejandro Kirk is going to be the guy. Zach Collins is, 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 is still on the roster. They called up Heineman. Uh, Bit of an early season test for Alejandro Kirk, isn't it? Because I don't think at any point we thought Alejandro Kirk would have to catch seven days. In a, I, and I don't know. They'll have to give him a blow. But I don't think at any point we looked at Alejandro Kirk as being the everyday guy out the gate. Yeah, obviously not. You'd rather have Danny Jansen. More pitchers like throwing to him for the obvious reasons. Better target, better blocker, better thrower, better game caller. They just have a lot, a ton of Kirk confidence. Kirk did a nice right. job last night, though, low in the zone. He yeah, he's getting better. Like, like they, they're, you know, he's a, he's a decent catcher. He's getting better at all the the things that you have to be good at at the big league level to be a backup catcher. Is he a starter? Is he a guy that can go five days a week? Look at his body type. Is he in good enough shape? Mm-hmm. That's the oh, it's first be thing a test. I'll there's, ask there's, you. There's no doubt it's going to be a test. He's not. He's not. You know, he doesn't scream physique to you. And you have to be that to to squat all the time and block balls. And you have to be in really good shape to be a starting catcher at the big league level. Can he do that? And offensively, right, he's he's got some head fly now. Like, he, you know, I don't want to say he's trying too hard, but you can tell the eyes are not telling the barrel where to go. And that's why he is right, doing Here the, we go. We got the batter. And I knew this was coming. I knew this was coming. It's a real easy that. It's a real easy thing to watch is the eyes will tell the barrel where to go. It's a simple thing. It's baseball 101 when you're talking about hitting. You can get – technical and talk about everything else basically where your eyes tell the barrel to go and if your eyes go to that point the barrel will follow right now his eyes are a little too early which means his eyes are more going towards third base and the sooner those eyes go and the barrel doesn't follow the barrel tends to get further away from your eyes which means your separation is a little further away and what you do when you try and catch up is the barrel dips below your belt and you start doing what hitting balls in the air exactly what he's trying to do it's not a tough fix. Could be numerous things. Could be the pitching's tough. Could be mm-hmm. the elevated fastball, which he has issues with. That's the that's the little kryptonite for him right now is how do you lay off it? That That's the thing. Don't try and hit everything in the strike zone because you can't. He's a young guy. You know, he's, he doesn't have a ton of time at the minor league level. Now he's going to be the starting catcher. Can he just go up there and say, you know what? I'm going to be me. I'm going to get my pitch, whatever that is. Do I like the ball middle end? Okay, I'm going to look for middle end until I get to two strikes and I can choke up, try and go the other way, do whatever it is I can do. So just sort of, you know, take a, take a deep breath, exhale a little bit. And he's, he's the bat, the ball skills, the bat speed, all those kind of things. The only thing I'd be a little concerned with is conditioning. Can he do mm-hmm. that? Can he catch 
four days a week? Can he catch five days a week until Danny gets back? We really don't know that. I guess we'll find out. Part of me was thinking, what if the Jays called up Gabriel Moreno? Yeah, I think it's Gabriel too soon. Moreno. I oh, think it, it's is too soon. Soon. it is too soon. And and it's not, I know. And it's, it's not. It's, it's not his soon. fault that Danny got hurt. And yeah. No, I just let, I was let thinking the kid about that yesterday. His, let the kid get his feet wet. And one thing we noticed, and we talked about this on on Blue Jays talk, and a reminder that Mister Barker and myself will be on after every Blue Jays game this year in Blue Jays talk. We are taking calls, and one of the things we talked about last night was how uncomfortable Aaron Judge looked late in the game when the Jays started using Pitchcom. Now, we've we've spoken about Pitchcom, and we now know that both Jays catchers are wearing it in their knee pad. So, to you know, the, the communication device, some of the Jays pitchers are using it. Adam Simber is, is a guy who's using it. I believe Richards is as well. But we noticed last night that... If you have watched the Yankees play, and this used to drive, I know that this this drove Jays fans nuts. The Yankees were the worst team in baseball at flouting the stepping out of the box rule. But Derek mm-hmm. Jeter did it forever, mm-hmm. and it was never enforced because they're the Yankees. It's like you put pinstripes on, you put the NY on, the rules change for you. Anyhow. The whole idea behind Pitchcom is to speed up the game. The Jays aren't using it with every pitcher. When they went to it last night, it was obvious that Aaron Judge was having a little bit of difficulty. He called time a couple of times. You pointed out there was one uh, one pitcher, Adam Simber, got on the mound, and he knew what he was going to throw. He had nodded to Kirk off the mound. He goes in there. Now Aaron Judge doesn't have time to get set. He calls, he calls timeout. Yeah. He had he and Stanton had really uncomfortable at bats at the end of the game, and that's something people had talked about. The kind of the flip side of pitchcom, yeah, it's going to speed up the game, but it's also going to play mind games with the hitter because a lot of a lot of hitters have had their way over the past couple of years. Yeah, timeout. Yeah, timeout. Hit, hitters have had their way over the last couple of years. I, I think it's a neat sort of strategic twist. Yeah, maybe the whole pitch. Maybe, maybe. I, you know, I think it's a lot of judge was thinking, okay, I got to face the submarine guy who's doing it from all the different angle. It's spinning, it's sinking. He's locating it now. And now I got to worry about being in a hurry to try and see ball hit ball. It's look is, do I think that's a big deal for, for these guys that are elite offensively? Absolutely not. Just go up there, hold your hand up to the umpire and, and the pitcher will have to wait on you. It's not the other way around. It's it's not like the the umpire is going to make you. The game he's, doesn't start until the pitcher go, throws the he's ball. He's going to go up there and hold. How hard is it to go in there? Have your be digging in if you're a hitter. Hold you your hand up like this. Look out like this. Put your and then it's not a big you deal. You can't. You're not going to be able to do it every pitch. I, absolutely, you can. When, when it matters yeah. the most in the eighth and ninth inning, and you're facing these elite guys coming out doing it from funky angles, and absolutely you can. Is there's no umpire on planet Earth going to go? Hey. Judge, put your hand down. It ain't gonna happen. Like it's, it, I think sometimes we we are overthinking things to the point of it, it's just I it sort of makes it a little silly. I, I understand it worked yesterday. 
because it was, I think he was a little frustrated because of the pitches, and he thought and a couple of pitches. just another thing to that, worry about, That the right? umpire, he thought, called a strike that he thought was a ball. Now he's thinking about that. He's mad at the umpire. Now this dude is rushing me. Yeah. I don't like all this. And he's, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a lot going on. He's a big dude, too, Absolutely. and there's a lot of moving parts. And- sure it is. So, you know, it's, again, I, I just think, you know, you, you can... I know for for a fact, I've talked to John Snyder, the, the bench coach for the Blue Jays. They've had serious conversations about this. They said, do not let them rush you. To hold hitters, your, hold to your hand up. Yeah. As long as you got one foot in and one foot out, they can't rush you. They can't throw it. Like, you're in the box. I'm getting ready. So there's t- certain times that you can slow it down enough that big parts of the game, first or second inning, right? It's what's big deal? Like you're you're going to get in there, you're going to go, you're trying to see your pitch, you're going to b- put your best swing on it. But when it comes crunch time and there's two outs with a runner on second base, and they bring in Adam Simber, flipping it from way down there. Look, it's my at bat. It ain't your at bat. It's my at bat. So I think you'll start seeing a little bit of these guys. Going, okay, I will give you that. We'll give you that pitch comp thing, and you can do your thing and rush us out of the game as quick as we can. But when it comes, push comes to shove, and I need to really have this at bat and really hone in, I'm going to take my time. Game two of the four-game series goes tonight, 7.05 on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The fan, Kevin Barker, you say Kikuchi will make his Blue Jays debut. Uh, guy who signed a multi-year contract. Didn't have a very good second half for Seattle was not what you would call astounding in spring training, even by even by the low bar that we set for people in spring training. Big start for him against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, I'm, I'm told he's, he's a guy that, that grad, gradually builds up, like to not worry, to get too excited about the 92-93s. I do know in his last start I was told that it was 94-95. So there was, it was in the tank. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I do know that I've talked to Petey about the finish of his motion. Like you know, you that that he had, he does the leg kick, he pauses, then he gets it, and it's lazy sometimes. I think that's the best way I can explain it for people to understand it. That his finish is lazy. Like it'll go, and then it's just like lollipopping in Kinda there. Kind of lacks energy. He's going to try and. That's a great way to say it. Lacks energy. He's going to try and put more energy into the finish, which he thinks. And the Blue Jays think, and Pete Walker thinks, that just by doing that, and they have moved him on the rubber to, to make it a little easier for him to throw strike one, uh, make it a little easier for him to throw glove side strikes, which is a big deal. If you're left-handed, no matter how hard you throw in the American League East to big right-handed hitters, you've got to establish in, right? Ryu has to do it. A guy like you say Kikuchi who throws, hopefully in the 97-98 range, is going to have to establish in there. He's going to have to get them looking in there, and they've—I don't want to say—they've eliminated the cutter, but it's going to—they're going to use it accordingly. Right. They're not going to overuse it, and, and they think—they think that he—that he fell in love with the cutter, don't don't they? Yeah. Well, it's a BP heater. That's basically what it is. If it's down the middle, like it was second half, it's a BP fastball, and and they say why use it? Like it's occasionally you're going to use it, maybe to get a guy off of whatever good pitch you're throwing, and he continues to foul it off. Do you see him using the splitty more? I see him using the big breaking ball more. Like the spin it big to control bat speed, that's sort of the thing, getting out in front, use the left side of the infield that now has Mm -hmm. some better defenders. That that will be sort of nice for him. Strike one's always important, but for him, I think that's very important, especially going into Yankee Stadium. Glove side, I just mentioned that. That's very important. That energy is very important. So if you're a fan watching tonight, look at the – at the end, like the, I'm mad at you. Like that finishes, you know, I'm doing it with some authority because I believe in it. You know, if you believe in it, 
it's probably going to happen. So I think it's – and is it a big start? Yeah, I guess. Like I, is well, it let, a, me is re- it, let me rephrase it. It's his first start for his new team at Yankee Stadium, and he's just seen Alec Manoa grind the Yankees into dust, basically. Yeah, well, I think it's, he saw the first three guys the way they looked. I think that's more important. You know, it would be nice to see him go four-plus. Am oh, God, I, am yeah. I, am I, am I oh. expecting him to go six? Probably not. But if he goes four-plus – he gives him a chance. He, he leaves the game with the lead. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm completely with you on that. If he can if he can get into the fifth inning, even not get there out of go. the fifth inning, if he can get into the fifth inning yeah. and pref, you know, hopefully the team hopefully the team gives him the lead. But if he can do that, then I'm more than happy. And then I'm willing to go uh I'm I'm willing to go to the bullpen and see what transpires there. And we know that uh congratulations, by the way, to Jordan Romano, twenty six consecutive saves. First two, first two guys he's throwing ninety four, ninety five, which was you know, I, I guess it is what it is. He you know he's he's got the nice different approach. It's you know it's uh it's out there like he's you know he'll flip the ball in the air like it's not a big deal. He's mm-hmm. been there and done it before, which is kind of cool. He's got he's got a nice little routine he's working with, and I think you could tell when he needed the extra gear. The exactly. last the, the last couple of hitters he had it. Which yeah, is he got a big He like I've had enough of this. Like I I want to yeah. get this over with. So he had the 97 that I saw. I think I saw that a couple of times. And, and the slider, I know he, he threw a fastball down the middle for the hit. He threw the slider down the middle for a hit. It's, for me, location. I know right. he's he's put a real emphasis on the offseason about throwing strikes. But I want the quality. Like, that big thing that strike the ball, that's nasty. Just don't flip it in there. It gives him a chance. And, I, you know, it's early. And how can you argue he's getting the job done? That's all no, that matters. It, it, it's early, and... It's a different year, and pitchers have sort of, I wouldn't say they've been rushed, but they haven't had their normal springs. And for a closer, Mm. the closer closer can't be a work in progress in the regular season. I I need to see results out of the gate with the closer. And and so far we have. There is going to be a time when you're going to have to stop saying it's, it's, you know, they've had a short and spring training. These guys have been there and done it before. They understand who they are and, all the things that go into success at the big league level, there, there's really no surprises for the guys that, that Charlie really believes in. Like, he knows the guys. He knows what their names are. Every Jays fan knows who we they are. We saw them in the game, and they were up or up in the bullpen Absol- last night. Absolutely. Right. He, knows what the, he, he knows who they are and what he should get from them. And I think there's going to be a time where you and me can't come on here and go, you know, the short and spring training – when is that? Like, is there a day? Well, is there a amount? Is there no, is there but, amount but, of outings? Is you'll, there? You'll know when starters when you see guys going seven in. Like, you'll be able to tell. Mm. You'll be able to tell when the gloves come off a bit, and you see guys throwing throwing ninety pitches a game or getting up to a hundred pitches in a start. Uh, you'll be able to tell when when their teams feel as if they've kind of gone through I don't, that particular. I don't stage. want to state the obvious, but Alex seemed to not mind the short and spring training. No, Alec didn't, but. You know, it's not it's not one size fits all. I guess he didn't seem to mind the short and spring training. Um, I don't know. He was happy to get did, it over with because he got Ryu, the face of did it have a effect uh, an effect on Ryu? I, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think for me anyway, it's Ryu's on the back nine. That's that's what I think. I don't think it has anything to do. Yeah, he could have had three months of spring training. Sweeney Murdy is three months. Wow. I exaggerate. 
Sweeney Murdy is the Yankees reporter for WFAN in New York. Game two of the four-game series goes tonight. You say Kikuchi on the mound for the Blue Jays. Nelson Cortez for the Yankees. What should we expect from Cortez? What about the Yankees lineup? And what about Aaron Judge getting booed already? You hear that last night? Aaron Judge was booed. Wow. Aaron Judge was booed in his last two at-bats. We know that Aaron Judge turned down the big contract extension. God, it's early to be booing Aaron Judge. And a couple of people pointed out in social media as well that they, that uh, people who were in the stadium said, what, what are people booing Aaron Judge for already? So they're York, they're mad he didn't take their $213 million. <laughs> it's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fans, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ernest. Late in the game, I guess a couple of fans were getting on you last bat. That's rare for you. Does that hurt when that happens uh, to you even? Oh, it's not rare. It's, I've been hearing it <laughs> since 16. You know, it's nothing new. Nothing new. Man, I don't know. I mean, I, I did some stuff when I was 16. But I don't remember people booing me at 16. Parker, you must I think he missed since 2016. Oh. There you go. Don't let it beat you. Atta boy. Whatever. Atta Maybe Aaron boy. Judge was booed when he was 16. I don't know. When was the first time? Be, when I mean, was the first? Boo a 16 year old. it. Well, <laughs> how are you going to boo a 16? Have you seen, have you gone out to a kid's hockey game? Absolutely not. Yeah. Not yet. My son's not well, old enough. Yeah. To go, yeah. Tell me about booing 16 year old kids. <laughs> when was the first time that you really noticed you getting booed? Where, where it got to the point or where something happened where you thought, oh, that's a little. Well, I'm not going to name any names, but there is a person that works here that used to make signs when I would come to Canada and play in AAA and boo me like crazy. All I'm right. not going to name any names. And were you aware of that? Were you aware of that? I mean, it's not. Well, I had no idea that that's who it was. Okay. But it, there, it, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to a baseball game in AAA and I have been Ottawa. There's like seven people there. Okay. So if they yell and boo at you. For a good chance, you're going to know who it is right. and what they look like. Let's bring in Sweeney Murdy, New York Yankees reporter with uh, WAFN in New York. Sweeney, thanks for joining Barker and myself. Have you ever been booed? <laughs> Probably, yeah. Um, you ever had your family boo you? No, I had that no, happen I, one no, time. See, not, not booed, but, you know, listen, I've, I, I had the great honor and at – times misfortune of following Susan Waldman in this job. And I say misfortune because my first year was 2001 and the Yankees had just won four out of five world series. And they went a long time without winning one. So uh, I would hear that from people first. It was jokingly on the radio of a Mike Francesa. And then it actually kind of became a thing Mm. to the point where I just recently told this story again. um, I I was working in Yankees fantasy camp and a guy came, comes up to me and he says, uh, Hey, so you been, this was probably about 2007, 2008, so they hadn't won the 09 World Series yet. He says, so your first year was 2001? He said, yeah. He says, and, and they haven't won the World Series since then, huh? He says, no, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, they've, had, they've come close a couple times. Um, and he looks at me with this real serious look on his face, and he says, well, how, how, how do you still have a job? 
Like, and I had to seriously look at the guy and say, you know I don't play for the Yankees or manage the Yankees or make any decisions at all in any way that affects the Yankees, right? You know my job is to go on the radio and talk on the radio. Do you understand that? And like it, it was so it wasn't booing, but that was I mean, that's I think that's worse than being booed. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a little more a little more a little more personal when you when you look at it that way. Um, all, all kidding aside, Sweeney, we know that Aaron Judge turned down that big extension, clearly not big enough for him. Is that if, if you put 100 Yankees fans in a room? And 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 tried to to figure out who was blaming whom for this this happening. What would the percentage breakdown be? Who would be you know, greedy athlete doesn't want to sign the contract? Uh, ownership stinks, or the general manager isn't doing his job. Who who would get the blame here? Uh, it's a good question. I think um, I, I think there's there there's a significant percentage of people who look at. Um, the, the money judge is offered and say, why, why isn't that enough? But I think because of the public perception here about that the Yankees haven't gone above and beyond in spending in certain ways, maybe compared to the Mets or other people, and you're talking about whether it's you know Freddie Freeman or Carlos Correa this year or Bryce Harper a few years ago, like just like this, every great new free agent that comes out, why don't the Yankees you know, shoehorn them in and, and just pay because they're worth whatever. They're the Yankees. Um, I think that perception kind of uh, oversees all of this too. So when the Yankees offered Aaron judge you know, roughly $230 million over eight years, well, why didn't they just give him the, you know, the nine year deal? Why didn't they just give him more? You know, what, what are they doing? Because automatically I think a lot of fans minds he's gone and it's the Yankees' fault for not signing. Well, why did we pass on all these other guys if we're not mm. if, if if it was to sign Aaron Judge and now we haven't signed Aaron Judge? Like so, they're already fast forwarding to the idea that he's gone. And I so I think a lot of that. I think the majority of the blame you're talking about will probably be directed towards Hal Steinbrenner, Brian Cashman, uh, a, a smaller percentage, although you know fairly significant and vocal that that offer should have been enough for Judge to take. So, do you, do you know him better than than we do? Obviously, do, do you really think that he thinks that this is a good idea? <laughs> I think that he. I don't. I don't know his. I don't have a history with his agent at all. So I, I haven't. You know, I can't tell you that I've had conversations about this with him over the years. Um, and judge, you know, I haven't just about his contract. But here's here's what I think about the strategy as best as I can kind of figure it out. Okay, if you're looking for uh, a nine-year deal with an AAV that's in the range of Mike Trout, well, okay, listen, Mike Trout is what he's he, he's almost won like eight MVPs, right? Mm-hmm. He could have been, um, and he is he is who he is. But to a degree, Aaron Judge is maybe more recognizable and a bigger star in terms of star value that we place um, than Mike Trout. Um, You know, Mike Trout could walk around the street in New York probably unnoticed. Aaron Judge cannot. A lot of that has to do with the extra, you know, four or five inches he carries around, um, you know, six, seven. But you get my point. Like, Mm -hmm. there is a value placed on that, on being the biggest star, not just on the Yankees, but perhaps in the sport. And the face of that... And that value 
is probably something that they're trying to realize as they go through this negotiation. Unfortunately for Judge, that is also attached to a player who has only only had two fully healthy full major league seasons. Um, And I went into this thinking that this year thinking that it's not the worst thing for the Yankees to wait this out and watch. They wanted to see Aaron judge um, stay healthy for a year. Right. And he did that last year. They're not under any obligation to sign him. Now it's not the worst thing in the world to wait for him to see him do it again and stay healthy again and put up another good year. And if it costs them an extra year or two or $50 million, that's not the first time either. You know, the Yankees had an offer. Actually, I believe it was Derek Jeter's camp that made this offer for seven years and about $122, $123 million. Um, and I, I believe the Yankees turned that one down. And in the 12 months after that, um, the Yankees won another World Series. Jeter was like the all-star MVP, MVP of the World Series, plus Alex Rodriguez signed for $252 million, and Nomar Garciaparra signed for 130 or $40 million, whatever it was. And so Jeter had to kind of shoehorn in between there, and they ended, it ended up costing them $189 million over 10 years. So by waiting, they it cost them $70 million roughly, right? But they got the player, and they could afford to do that. Not every team has that luxury. You know, if you're talking about, you know, I don't know, like Cleveland or Milwaukee, and this deal gets rejected, you're talking about, okay, when are they trading them? Right. That's not part of the discussion here. You know, it's, you know, there are strategies involved, and if, you know, this is going to get to November, it doesn't mean he's gone, but you've just, you know, you've obviously added a degree, added a degree of difficulty to this. No, that's a really good point. I admit I, I hadn't thought of that. If If you are the Yankees and Aaron Judge turns in a healthy year, and has an MVP type of season, yeah, you may, you know, you you may have the. I mean, it's almost like an insurance policy. Maybe the insurance policy is. I think that's, a, ga- think is, that's is, a gamble that they take, Blair. Yeah. You know, and I'm, you know, and somebody asked me the other day, like, who's taking the bigger risk here? And I said, well, I, you know, listen, Judge is taking a fairly significant risk, right? I mean, you know, he's he's you know turning down this guaranteed money, but. In, I think in a lot of ways the Yankees are taking on the bigger risk because mm-hmm. you know, Judge, Judge is the athlete with the athlete's mentality who's just betting on himself. The Yankees are the team that, okay, as I just said, it could cost them more to keep the player. Or if they have, if they have pushed this to the point where he, you know, somebody else gets in the bidding and he does leave, now they have to answer to that and replace that player and do whatever strategies they need to do to get past that. So. I think in a lot of ways the Yankees are the ones taking the bigger risk, even though Judge is the one who is, you know, is leaving money on the table at this moment. Sweeney, I know we're only four games or five games into the into the regular season, but how do you see Aaron Boone managing his infield, the the infield rotation, if you want to call it that, this year? I'm, you know, I'm curious to see, they all stayed healthy for four games. I'm curious to see if we're still asking that question after, you know, eight, 12, mm. 14, 15 games. That's the biggest factor here. Um, you know, he, I asked him in spring training about, you know, the idea of like how far out do you plan this out, you know? And, you know, generally speaking, you know, you know, you you know, the pitchers you're facing for the next, you know, five days or so. So you try to map that out. Okay. I've got a day game here, a night game there. I've got a lefty here, whatever and try to map that out. And, you know, even before you had shortened spring training, you know what guys do in April and try to figure out how to, 
you know, ease guys in and not have them play more than, you know, four or five days in a row. So, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a juggling act because, you know, DJ LeMahieu was the versatile one. Everybody else is kind of not as flexible. Um, so LeMahieu is the one that you're kind of juggling around here. And I, I think you, you know, I think he's the one you kind of look for and see, okay, is it affecting him offensively? Is he able to produce it or something like he's, he's one for 10. He smoked a couple of balls. He struck out a few times. You know, it's hard to make anything out of, you know, four games, but I think you take a closer look at that. I mean, you know, everybody understands the manager is trying his best to put everybody in a position to succeed. When you give a guy a day off or bring a guy off the bench, you're doing your best to put him in a position to succeed. If that's not being maximized with this rotation, then you kind of have to figure out, okay, what's, what's best here? Who am I, you know, who can I, who can I serve better? And I don't think you're going to know that yet. Um, but as you know, a lot of times these decisions get made for you because of an injury and, and you don't have to make that choice. We're not at that point yet, but then again, you know, we've only played four games. I, I look at the shortstop position. It's one thing to platoon at second base. It's another thing to give JD a couple of days off DH him, whatever you have to do because of his age, but the shortstop position, like doesn't they have, don't they have to have a guy that every day you can count on to at least play plus defense that takes pressure off the old guy standing beside you at third and whoever's playing years or so. uh, Yeah. Whoever's playing second base. Do they actually have that guy? Isaiah Connor for left. I guess they like him defensively, offensively, maybe not, you know, can the Yankees, I guess, contend when they're platooning the quarterback on the field position. Yeah, they're, well, they're not really platooning the shortstop, Kevin. That's the thing. Now, he took, he had the day off yesterday after playing the first three games, um, and they gave him a day off. But it's not really, a, you know, that's not really one of the positions they're rotating. I just mm-hmm. think that was, okay, three in a row, let's give him a day and come back, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, but you ask, you know, you bring up an important question about the stability of that position because we don't know the answer to that yet. Mm-hmm. Isaiah kind of Falefa is brand new to New York. He, um, you know, he's juggled a couple of balls already that, you know, Yankee, you know, Yankee fans were looking at Carlos Correa and Trevor Story and, uh, you know, Corey Seager and Avi Baez, and they ended up with Isaiah Connor falefa And the idea was, okay, you got prospects coming up. This guy's shorthanded. You got an offense at other positions, blah, blah, blah. Okay, he's going to juggle, you know, three balls in the first four games of the season. You know, we're going to have an issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think. That's something that, you know, you know, it's the typical, you know, trying really hard and a lot of pressure um, coming here and, and starting up the season. Um, so how he settles into that position defensively more than anything else, I'm pretty curious about. Because, you know, this isn't a guy who is signed to an eight-year contract and said, okay, he's going to get up to a slow start, but, you know, he's going to put up these numbers, these numbers, these numbers. This is a guy who's got this position because – you know, in another year, they might have somebody else to play that position, and it might be less than that. If you've got Oswald Peraza, who's the number two prospect in the organization, and he's tearing it up at AAA a month from now, and, you know, Isaiah Conner-Falefa isn't and has a couple of errors, you know, these are the kinds of questions that linger, and you say, okay, how long, how long do you go here? Um, so I think getting him comfortable and getting him to the position where, you know, He's showing you what kind of a defender he is because that's his reputation. That's the important thing here because if you got him here for your offense, then you got the wrong player. You know, the, the Yankees are counting on bounce backs from guys like LeMahieu and Glaber Torres 
And obviously, you know, Stanton and Judge, you need to bounce back from Joey Gallo. And Rizzo is, you know, is off to a good start. These are the guys that should be performing offensively. And the other guys will take care of themselves at the bottom of the order if all that happens. You know, Connor Falefa has to show the kind of defender that the Yankees believed him to be when they got him. You mentioned Joey Gallo. He had the Yankees only hit off of Manoa. He was two for three. I think he was... Uh, he might have had one hit in his first 10 or 11 at-bats of the season. I know he yeah. walked a couple of times. Yep. What What did the Yankees expect from Joey Gallo? Uh, you know, it's it's really it's, – it's almost not even what the Yankees expect. It's what he expects. Like, Joey Gallo makes no apologies for the player he is. Right. Um, he, he expects to be a guy who's going to walk a lot, hit close to 40 home runs, and going to strike out a lot. His average isn't going to be very high. Um, and he seems to be very comfortable in describing himself that way. And, you know, I, that feels problematic to me. You know, it's not even a matter of, like, you, you have, you've had players who are always saying about, like, we're always trying to get better, you're always trying to do this, always trying to do that, and improve this. And, you know, Gallo seems very comfortable with the baseline that he's established here. Um you know, listen, last year when he came over to the Yankees, he had 160, and he was clearly uncomfortable. And there were, you know, there were things that it just it just didn't look. Here's the thing I keep saying about Joey Gallo. If you put his numbers down for him, if you just stare at his numbers on a page, I can look at that those numbers and say, you know what, that's a useful player. I know it's not ideal, but I can make something out of that. That's mm-hmm. a useful player. I can use that guy. When you watch play out every day, you're like pulling your hair out, trying to say, oh, my gosh, is this really going to end up with, you know, uh, 370 on base and 40 home runs and whatever the OPS is like, I, it, it, is it going to end up like that? Because it sure doesn't look like that right now. And that's the maddening part about it. Um, you know, if Joey Gallo ends up hitting 220 with 40 home runs and walks, you know, a hundred plus times and has that 375 on base, I'm talking about, I think the Yankees consider that a highly successful season and Joey Gallo will just consider it. Okay, here I am. You know, like he's not trying to hit 270. He's, you know, he's fine doing what he's doing. And, you know, long-term, that would bother me. Short-term, he's a guy playing for a contract. So, I don't know. Let's just see what he does. Sweeney, as always, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for doing this. Friends? Yeah, well, thanks for letting me ramble. I uh, mm-hmm. look forward to seeing you guys in person soon. Yeah, Thank and you. I promise you I won't boo you when I see you. Yeah, me either. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised Shulman did that to you in AAA. That's really not like him. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. <laughs> All right, man. Good to talk to you. That's Sweeney Murdy, Yankees reporter for WFAN. Yeah, Connor Falefa is 27 years old. They, they played three games. Just come out and say, don't say you're giving him a day off. Just say, offensively, you're not good enough to face Alec Manoa. Just, I'm, nah, but yeah, you, you read know. between the lines, and that's the way it is. I'm saying, is he your so shortstop is Josh or not? Josh Donaldson not good enough to play? Josh Donaldson's 36. That's different. He's 36. I think they're, they're trying to keep him on the field long term, getting him at the to the end of the season. I think we know enough now to know that that decision was probably made by I, several people, not I, named I, Aaron Boone. Absolutely, or Isaiah Kiner Absolutely, but I just it's it, yeah, the only way you're going to get better at being booed because he's going to be booed in New York. It's just the way it is. To get used to it is to play, be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think the, a, the whole shortstop picture in New York is is fascinating because it is such a it's an iconic position for that franchise it's an iconic iconic position in baseball but it's an iconic position for that franchise and you look at all the things that that have kind of coalesced this year we had I mean 
a generation's worth of shortstops come on the market in the past two years. Mm-hmm. The Yankees didn't get any of them. No. They've got Anthony Volpe. They've got Pedraza. A lot of people like both of them. Mm-hmm. A lot of people like Glaber Torres, too, when he was coming up. Some folks thought he was an MVP candidate. But you look at the fact they had Derek Jeter. You look at the fact that the Yankees got Lindor. There were all these other shortstops in play. Correa, uh, even, even Trevor Story. And as, as, as Sweeney said, the Yankees end up making a multiplayer move to get Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. And it, really, the thinking is, it's very simple. This is going to be a placeholder. At some point, one of these two guys are going to be up, maybe later this year, certainly next year. And we know that Kiner-Falefa can play a, a bunch of different positions. But this gets back to something you said about the Yankees and their lineup. If you go position by position... With the New York Yankees right now and the Toronto Blue Jays, and really think about it and ask yourself, who do I want from each team? The Jays come out okay. Oh, they're, those outfielders. They're the outfielders okay. are the outfielders are, are terrific, but I'm not taking Aaron Hicks over uh, over Springer. I'd take Judge in my team, but the dude can't stay healthy. I. Stanton's a DH. If I go around elsewhere, I love JD and Josh Donaldson will join us, by the way, at the end of the show. But Matt Chapman is a younger guy who's going to give you defense. I, you know, don't get me started about Bo Bichette. Second base, yeah, if, if Glaber Torres turns into the player that we thought he was going to be, that's fine. First base, I mean. So, yeah, the Yankees, the Yankees are susceptible. And we talked about this yesterday, and I still think the biggest thing for the Yankees, everything aside, if Luis Severino can be healthy, that stabilizes their pitching, and I think a lot of other things will gives feed off that. It gives them a one-two punch. It gives them a one-two punch. That's what it does. It gives them a really good and one-two punch. It can hide some bad defense. Absolutely. Yeah. Doug Glanville of ESPN and the Marquee Sports Network will join us at the top of the hour. Josh Donaldson, we're going to make it rain. The New York Yankees third baseman joins us at 1140. This is Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590. The fan Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your favorite podcast.